Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. Find them at beachhousesoaps.com. You know, prior to the UCLA game, I was going to use Beach House Soaps to wash my hands of these Elite Eight rounds or these Elite Eight games because they were terrible. They were awful. Now I had to use the soaps to wipe away the palms because they were sweating like crazy after that UCLA-Michigan finish. I just got my Beach House Soaps this week as well. I got Rose, Spa Day, and Bonfire. Bonfire, incredibly intense scent, but I love it. I, I can't support this brand enough. Go out and get your beach house soaps, all right? Your college hooper of the week is Stillman White, former North Carolina guard by way of Wilmington, North Carolina. Stillman White uh, played there for Roy Williams. I think he actually would be a great candidate for where am I? I don't think he's playing in any sort of professional league, but Stillman White, college hooper of the week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's v-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Taylor, the final four is set. We have some very juicy matchups highlighted, of course, uh, by Paige Beckers and Ari McDonald. So, yeah, I, I had to I had to give a shout out to our ladies first. Lady Arizona Cats going to the final four, punching their ticket. Hug for Adia Barnes. Hug for McDonald. Uh, that's going to be a great game. But if we pivot actually to the men, we'll get to Arizona women's basketball a little bit later in the show. I know everyone's saying you guys always shoehorn Arizona. Well, now we are justifiably doing so because they actually went to a fucking final four. I can't, this is, it was so weird seeing the push notification coming from ESPN saying Arizona goes to a final four, but I'm glad it finally happened. 
But let's pivot to the men's uh, final four real quick. The final four is set Baylor, Houston, Texas shootout on the right side, Zags, UCLA, a West Coast shootout on the left side for the right to be named champion. We're recording this right after the UCLA game. What a finish. The Elite Eight games, by and large, were pretty terrible. Gonzaga absolutely rolled. Uh, Houston, there was a little bit of nervousness uh, in their game. Same thing with Baylor and Arkansas. But by and large, UCLA, you could argue, played two of the best games of the tournament. Uh, Their game against Alabama, which went to overtime, and then their win against Michigan. They gutted it out, and they're here in the Final Four, Taylor. Yeah, you know, of the Pac-12 teams that were left, I – definitely was rooting against UCLA and for USC and Oregon state, Oregon state would have been a fun story. USC would have been, I guess, actually kind of a fun story given their lack of basketball success. Uh, UCLA could be a fun story for other people, but it's not particularly a fun story for me, especially because, you know, they did knock out uh, one of my teams I had going to the final four in Alabama. Uh, You're right though. These games, the elite eight games were a little bit underwhelming in a way. And really, the Sweet 16 games weren't exactly thrilling either. You know, Oregon State almost made it a game there at the end against Houston, and they actually covered for those betting folks out there like myself. Um, well, you know, like that Houston-Syracuse game was a bore, if, if, if I may say that. Oregon State-Loyola-Chicago was great. Uh, Arkansas, unfortunately, another team that I picked to the Final Four was taken down by Baylor and nobody they had a great expect- game that they had a great sweet 16 game though against oral yeah, Roberts. That, that's that was probably, I would say that's, that was the third best game of the tournament thus far. And what a look that, uh, Abmus or Abmus got there at the end. I mean, you, you got it wrong twice. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I've been doing that. <laughs> I've, been doing that I've been doing that for the whole tournament too. So that's my bad. Honestly, it's because I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, which is why I missed like the last podcast. And this dude yet next to us was yelling the whole time, even though I was betting on Oral Roberts too, but no excuses in March, just play better. So that's on me. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's not surprising who we have here other than UCLA. Gonzaga, a completely obvious pick here, even though one of us two did not pick that team. Subi. Hand up. Hand up. Yeah. That was a clearly, pick. Yep. Clearly the best team in the country. Um, and then Baylor, who was clearly the second best team in the country, despite uh, some COVID pauses and uh, a couple losses late, but literally they only had two losses. So a couple losses late is not a really wasn't a problem in hindsight. Houston, Sharks, boys, kind of because he was not on them to the final four, but he, they were his boys. I mean, they've looked really, really good uh, so far, really quite impressive. And it's kind of interesting that, that Rutgers of, of all the games they've, they've played so far, this tournament are their closest game. It was their closest game, I should say. Um, And UCLA, you know, a team that is obviously surprising in the final four, but if you've listened to this podcast before, I thought they were the best team in the PAC 12 for months now. So it's not surprising to me that they had some success. It's a little surprising to me that they went to the final four, but boy, did they have a great route, at least having at least to the sweet 16, getting to play Abilene Christian in that second round. And they got that. They they are that play in team that kind of got the ball rolling. We talked about this a couple episodes ago about how maybe not having to travel again, for that play-in game really isn't that hurtful because you're kind of staying on the same cadence as your uh, conference schedule. 
uh, for how they had these playing games and the schedule going at this time. So uh, I've talked for like 10 minutes in a row now. Subi, what are your thoughts on, on that? No, you hit a lot of good points. Let's unpack UCLA first and foremost, and then just the general approach to bracket picking, right? I think it's something like less than 60% of the time three number one seeds go to the final four. So when you just, when you see the bracket, right, you got to make a decision who are my, who, take two number ones to the final four. Fine. Three out of the four times it, that rarely happens. I think in 2008 or whenever it was, it, there were all four, but that's ne- all four number ones never going to happen. So basically when you look at your bracket on selection Sunday, you have a really good chance of picking two. The other two, though, like just don't go with three out of four. Don't go with four out of four number ones. Now, that was my approach. I had Baylor securely in. I had Illinois securely in. Illinois is on my shit list. I don't apologize for that. Baylor, they did me right. I took Kansas over Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Now, Kansas was a dumb pick, but I was like, look, Gonzaga's probably going to go to to this Final Four, but if I have them up to the Elite Eight, that's good enough. Uh, so they were one of the teams that I left off. And then uh, I, who was in oh, the Michigan, Michigan, I have losing actually first round, but um, that I mean, that's the one thing that you need to take into your, your picks on selection Sunday. The other thing is now it's, it's, it's more than just a small little trend. Look out for the first four. One of those teams will be making a run. Undoubtedly. It may not be all the way to the final four, which I think only VCU has done. But UCLA obviously has made a run. There have been a few other examples. Out of the first four, you need to identify who might make it to the second weekend because it will most likely happen. These guys get games under their belts. And you're right. You had mentioned that UCLA was the best team in the Pac-12. Even though they stumbled into the Pac-12 tournament, losers of four straight, I had said that USC was the best team in the Pac-12. Now, when we look back on this, we'll say that UCLA got further than USC, but I think it's still kind of, I think we were almost both right in a sense, because I don't think anybody's beaten fucking Gonzaga. Uh, USC was no match, but USC killed all of their previous opponents. They didn't have a, they didn't technically play a close game all tournament. Obviously they lose to Gonzaga, but the attention needs to be on UCLA. What a run, what a great job for Mick Cronin Uh, and, and, Taylor, I want to bring up coaching and get your thoughts on Mick Cronin because when we first talked about him getting hired, this actually might have been at the inception of this show. A lot of people were saying, well, he doesn't have L.A. roots. He's this Midwestern Cincinnati guy. How is that going to train? And the style of play with the Bearcats doesn't necessarily vibe with what UCLA historically is. He's here now in the Final Four, and I think it speaks a lot to teams. It's not impatience. But programs and ADs saying to themselves, look, this coach is not getting it done for these expectations. We need to cut the cord. We need to bring in some fresh blood. That's exactly what UCLA did in firing Steve Alford, who was not meeting expectations, and bringing in a Mick Cronin. And real quick before I get your thoughts on Mick, I saw Seth Davis a couple days ago being like, teams need to honor their coaches and have a lot more patience. It all comes hand in hand with expectations. He cited Leonard Hamilton at Florida state who got a huge leash. Didn't even go to a tournament for seven years. That's Florida state basketball, man. You cannot get away with that at Indiana. You cannot get away with that at UCLA, which aren't just really strong basketball programs. These are historically great blue blood guys where you have to show at least some promise in the first four years. Steve Alford didn't really do that. They bring in Cronin and look where they are. 
Well, it's interesting if you look at Cronin's record, he'd only been to one Sweet 16 before this. And I think that's very interesting. You know, a lot of first-round exits and second-round exits for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, and a couple with Murray State before that, too. And, yeah, I'm definitely a person who said, hey, that this McCronin tire doesn't really make sense, doesn't really fit the vibe of L.A., like you said. But if you go back to UCLA's last uh, amount of success when they had uh, Ben Howland, Ben Howland was a slow defensive coach as well. He didn't really fit the quote-unquote vibe of L.A. or whatever we want to say about that because I think we think of L.A. basketball as like Showtime Laker uh, type of basketball. But if you think about it, that was really only like a six-year stretch in the 80s and early 90s of basketball, and we just define L.A. basketball by that stretch. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything other than winning. That's it, and that's something that uh, L.A. basketball as a whole has done a lot over the course of its time, whether it's collegiately or professionally. I definitely didn't think that Mick Cronin was going to have this much success, though. Um, I don't. I, I didn't think necessarily all that highly of his recruiting ability. I thought he was a pretty average recruiter, a pretty decent coach, someone who wasn't really going to, you know, raise a program up to a Final Four type of level. Now, I will say, not against Mick Cronin, but maybe more in support of other coaches in general, depending on the amount of time that they've had at their school. The tournament's always about matchups. And it's always about getting on a heater or however you want to phrase that. And a lot of times that's unpredictable. And I know it's up to the coach's job or the coach's job is to make it that it's not unpredictable when they have tournament success. Uh, I think playing Abilene Christian in the second round or their third game was huge because that was the easiest team they played this tournament. And they got to play him in their third game of the tournament. And so you get through those three games and you think to yourself, now your confidence is built. And you're like, well, shit, we're in the Sweet 16. We're two wins away from the Final Four. Any team that is in a major conference can win two games against major opponents. Any team, really, unless you're Iowa State or like Kansas State or something like that. But really, any team can. And I think UCLA was underseeded coming in. I think the as we've seen, the entirety of the Pac-12 was underseeded coming in. I will give Mick Cronin a lot of support by, you know, going back uh, to February when only USC was ranked of any team in the Pac-12. And he said, yo, this league is much better than than is being given credit for. And uh, it, it's really good on his part to back that up not by the performance of other teams, but even just by the performance of his own. Well, I think you could also say if you're riding that sort of luck streak, and, I, and that, that's kind of diminish, diminishing what you were saying. I understand what you're saying, but in addition to that, they played a Michigan team without livers. Now, Michigan was winning prior to this UCLA team, uh, and they were doing just fine. And they had a, a sincere height advantage over UCLA, and they still couldn't get that done. And I actually thought Mick Cronin, for as much credit as Jawan Howard has gotten, and he deserves all of it, he's Big Ten Coach of the Year. He was great this year. Mick Cronin thoroughly outcoached him. This actually reminded me quite a bit of Porter Moser versus Brad Underwood. Mick Cronin from – I think he took a timeout or there was a stretch where Michigan had rattled off nine straight, and they weren't – I mean, they weren't doing anything UCLA on offense. You could say, well, he just gave the ball to Johnny Juzang and Juzang had like 18 or whatever it was in the first half. But that, I mean, 
him taking a lead into halftime is a credit to Mick Cronin. It's a credit to Juzang and then hanging on to it, especially down the stretch. He gave those Michigan bigs fits. Uh, he gave their guards fits. And I, I definitely thought that Mick Cronin, that, that was a masterclass in coaching. Um, and I think Jawan Howard, this is going to help him in the future. He's, he's got, this is actually very good for Jawan Howard, right? I mean, you're, you experienced so much success without having been a head coach previously. I think you got to take some of these lumps moving forward. I, I definitely expect Jawan Howard to use this in a much more positive way. But if we're being honest, Mick Cronin thoroughly outcoached Jawan today. Well, and look at the stats alone. Jaime Hawkes has been a, I don't want to call him a star throughout this tournament. He was a star in the play-in game, and he's been a solid uh, supporter the rest of the time. But that guy. He, but he wasn't. He didn't have the ball at all in this game. This was a classic case of playing to the hot hand. I mean, Johnny Juzang had 19 shots. He scored 28 points. Hawkes had six shots today. Cody Riley had six shots today. Their bench didn't have any shots. I mean, Nuba or however you say his name, they played 20 minutes. No shots. Um, Tiger Campbell played a nice game today, 11 points to assist. But it really was, just like you said, identifying the weakness on the other team and going, and in a way, going to your best player or your most important player. And that's something in college basketball that really good coaches do. And sometimes coaches who I won't name publicly, who I might still support at a school that I went to don't necessarily do that type of stuff. It's like, yo, this dude's hot. Go to him. Like we got the best matchup, go to him. And so that's exactly what happened here in this game with UCLA and Michigan. Uh, actually the most surprising thing that happened to this in this whole game, I think was Juzang missing, missing that free throw with like seven seconds left. 92% free throw shooter this year. Um, and I got to say, actually, Oh, I feel I feel bad for him, but Wagner's Wagner's miss wide open three where there was just a defensive breakdown on, on UCLA's part dude airballs a wide open three with essentially not the last shot, but the second to last shot that he took there before uh, Juzang's free throws, I believe, or maybe it was after Juzang's free, free throws. No, no, no. It was, it was before because they were only down one. That was the other thing I was saying to myself, right. like, dude, you're only down one taking an NBA, what looked to be an NBA range three. And then I think uh, Eli Brooks picked up the rebound underneath and he tried uh, yeah, a yeah, quick yeah. little shot. I'm like, D guy, you got seven seconds left. Take it easy. Uh, but Franz Wagner, just, I mean, generally speaking, I feel for the kid. Like we made fun of, of Jordan Bohannon a couple of weeks ago when he had a terrible game. We genuinely feel for these kids. I'm sorry. Like maybe we shouldn't have laughed. Franz Wagner. I feel terrible for him. Worst day to have your worst game probably on, on campus at Michigan or at Michigan, right? He went one of 10. And that's the other thing that you need to win some of these games when you're a double digit seed, like UCLA, you need a Franz Wagner who's projected to be a first round pick to go one of 10. You need Michigan to leave some of these free throws points at the line. Hunter Dickinson, I think is like a 70 some odd percent free throw shooter. And he missed some crucial free throws. Mike Smith at the end of the half actually did a very smart job of driving directly to the rim. And he got probably a ticky tack foul on Ty Tiger Campbell, but he made the ref blow the whistle. He went zero of two right into half that would have cut the lead to two. What was the final score? They lost by two. 
Even so, Franz Wagner down one has to jack up a three. They would have been leading. These little things matter. It's and so I know for a fact Michigan fans and Jawan Howard's going to be saying to themselves, if Franz only just hit one more shot, if we had two more free throws, you could very well make the case those were the the biggest differences in the game. And this is actually a very good thing that UCLA can hang their hat on. Cronin won't say this to his players, but as guys that were watching the game, Michigan got every call. I mean, they got Hunter Dickinson. I've never seen a whistle. This guy, you'd think this guy's LeBron James. Like I, I was, I was going crazy. I'm, I'm sitting here being like, who the hell, who the hell does this guy think he is demanding these calls? Even Austin Davis, their backup center was getting calls. So Michigan had every single opportunity. There is zero excuse for them going home. The reason I feel the most bad for Wagner though, is that like the defense went under the screen and then sagged off them. They either didn't switch or someone missed an assignment there. And I don't, you said jack up a three. I'm not even going to call it jack up a three. I mean, they sagged. I, I, I'd i have to watch the replay at maybe a time for two again. But, I mean, he had an open three to send his team to the final four, essentially. And that's literally what you just, no matter what sport you've ever played or anything that you've done in life that's competitive. Like, for me, it was golf, right? So I'd be sitting there my, growing up the whole time, and you'd have, like, a 15-foot putt, and you think to yourself, this is a go to this is to win the masters or whatever, you know, this dude's got an open three to send his team to the final four. And he just fucking airballs it. You know I mean? That's again, I sh- we shouldn't laugh at it. I really do feel bad for him because you, you're just probably never going to get that opportunity in your life again. You know, I, Wagner will potentially become an NBA player. Maybe he'll hang out at Michigan for another year. But man, you just don't have those opportunities all the time in your life. And, you know, we honestly, I don't want to say he gets a pass, but just going back a second, like Juzang missing that free throw, despite how well he played, could have been a similar situation where you think to yourself, fuck, all I needed to do, like if they come down and hit that three, if Michigan comes down and hit that three that they took, which I don't necessarily love that they took a three or that three in that situation, you're thinking to yourself, God, all I had to do was make one free throw to go to the final four. Uh, But that's what these games are all about. And that's what, you know, someone said it on Twitter one, and I know we've said it before, but I'd rather have a competitive game than a well-played game. If that makes sense. Um, this game was a dog fight and one that was close the entire time. And I mean, there were bodies flying around for the, uh, like a five minute stretch in that second half there. I mean, I don't think a bucket was made, but just bodies were flying around. And really that's why we watch college basketball is if we wanted to see people just, jacking threes up the whole time or, you know, all offense, no defense, then yeah, we'd watch the NBA, which we do, but it's just a con- different brand of basketball. I like college basketball when you can just tell that guys are flying around trying to make plays and it doesn't necessarily have to be like shots. They're on the floor. Like we yell every single time we've ever watched a basketball game together, get on the floor. And yeah. so that's what was great about this game compared to uh you know, many of the other games in the tournament, but especially all the other Elite Eight games. Well, even the game right before it, Gonzaga. Gonzaga put on a clinic. It was, I was incredible what the Zags were doing, but that was a boring-ass game. I was done with it under under 10 timeout in the first half. I was like, all right, this one's a wrap. This, this game's over. Get me to the next game. They actually should have switched it, so that way we could be recording this a little bit earlier, honestly. It should have been the uh, Michigan-UCLA game first, and then I probably could have... You know, had had the Gonzaga game 
up on the background uh, while we were recording this. But yeah, I mean, the Michigan UCLA game was was absolutely fantastic. It was marvelous. And like you said, it's all part of the charm as to why we love watching college basketball. Real quick before we get to some of the other Elite Eight games and the other Final Four contestants, you mentioned Jaime Hawkes. That guy is going to absolutely obliterate and terrorize us for the next two, three years, however much longer he's going to be there at UCLA. That guy had two career highs, both against Arizona. He took over against Bama, who I also had in the final four, took over against them in, in overtime. Jaime Hawkes, I'm basically Jaime Hawkes' gimp. You ever seen Pulp Fiction, the, the, the gimp in the basement? Right. That is me with Jaime Hawkes. And I, I mentioned that to a couple of the buddies and they were like, Oh, do you, are you going to wear the suit? I was like, don't ask me, man. Ask Hawkes. Hawkes is going to be the one telling me. So I am here on titch telling you that I am Jaime Hawkes's gimp for the next two, three years. And I, I could not, could not hate it anymore. <laughs> that guy's yeah. going to kill us. Is, I mean, I hate to say this, but is he, he's almost like the, the Jorge Gutierrez uh, from a couple of years ago, where it's just like this dude, you know, he's not, he's talented, but like, he's, he's, not, not, he's I think he's better than Gutierrez. He's like six, six, man. Right. But I'm just saying like, he's not talented enough to be going off sometimes for this, the, the scores or the point total that he does. He just, he's one of those guys that you look at him and you're like, come on, dude, really just, just give us something here. And then, but Juzang's kind of the same way too, though. I mean, he's Juzang's he, kind of nice. I mean, he was good enough to play Kentucky, right? Well, he's just, it, and this is not our fault. This is national media fault because they think that these guys are coming out of nowhere. And in reality, the people have watched these teams all year. Unfortunately, we've had the opportunity to watch them torch Arizona this year. Uh, we knew this was coming, not necessarily to disagree, but like that they were nice and they had some talent. And even Tiger Campbell, you could put into that. Tiger Campbell is a great point guard. He's a great college point guard. Um, and just no national respect uh, because for whatever reason, West Coast bias, let's call it. Um, so it's not surprising to me that they are playing well. It is surprising to me that they made the final four. I know I've said that already, but uh, yeah, dude, that guy, Hawkes is good enough to be like one of the best players in the conference, but he's not necessarily, knock on wood, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to go to the NBA right now, at least. And so, yeah, you're right. He's going to be a thorn in our sides for years to come. Hawkes had two shots. One was with the shot clock winding down and he had to shoot it over the backboard on the buzzer. I was like, I think he's going to hit that. He didn't. And then in the corner, Mick Cronin had a beautiful play dialed up for Hawkes when they were up one, I think it was. And a three obviously would have put him up four. Hawkes got a great look from the corner and he missed it. And I was like, <clears throat> and I th- I was rooting for UCLA, honestly. I wanted UCLA because, of course, my uh, fiance is in second place now in a 99-person bracket. First place purse is like 1,700-some-odd dollars. Uh, I'm over here grinding out podcasts and, and weekly episodes, diving in. I, I know I use this all the time, but watching Colby Ross at 11.59 p.m. Meanwhile, she just rolls out of bed at, after watching Dawson's Creek. She's playing Candy Crush on her phone, and she's about to win this goddamn bracket. Do you want to know where the theater and college hoops bracket stands in the grand scheme of things right now? Well, I feel like we went pretty chalk, so it should be all right, no? 71st percentile. C minus C minus for the guys who take the time out of their schedule to do this every single week of the year. 
Makes so makes me feel good. Yeah, right. So useless, man. So useless. Well, congratulations to UCLA going to the Final Four. Excited to see them represent the West Coast, another West Coast team. I don't think we have to much, spend much time on them, just like we did on the selection show, right? Uh, when we when we broke down the bracket, Gonzaga, goddamn buzzsaw, man. I mean, I know I was going out on a complete limb saying they would lose in the Elite Eight, but there was zero part of me that actually had faith in that, if I'm being honest. It was one of those deals where you just sort of have to continue to say it enough times to yourself until you believe it, like you're some sort of weirdo liar uh, or con man. Uh, that's what I felt about Gonzaga. God, they're... they're they just have so many weapons. I mean, what else is there to say about Gonzaga? Is there anything else you want to add about them? I mean, their stat line just continually looks like an NBA team. If you extrapolate the amount of points they've scored in this game to 48 minutes, they've scored 102 points, which is an NBA you know, point total in a normal game. But their scores were 23-18-18. Uh, Suggs had almost a triple-double. 10 boards. Kispert had eight boards. Suggs had eight assists. You know, everybody that started had, had multiple assists. Uh, they, their, their stat lines or their box scores look like NBA stats. Uh, 50% from the field. They actually only shot 33% from three this game. And if they shot what they normally did, like I think it's 39 or 40%, then they would have won by 30. It's, it's ridiculous. It's the best Pac-12 team against the best Pac-12 team. And the and the team that not even the best Pac-12 team, but in a way like one of the teams that was the best in the country to match up against them because of their size, USC and you know Florida State was a team that I liked and a team that I indicated may have a good shot against Gonzaga if they were to have faced each other in this tournament just because of their size and athleticism. I already know that I would have been wrong if they would have played though because this would have been one of the closer equivalents in the country, USC with their size. And I mean the game was over. Five minutes in, it was what twenty to seven at some point. Like five they, minutes into the game, they rattled USC's cage within the first five minutes. I think USC had like three turnovers, all of them pretty much unforced. In the sense that you could just tell, oh shit, that's Gonzaga across the floor. I can't even catch the basketball right now. Yeah, right. It was seventeen to four, is what I'm thinking. But whatever, the, the point still remains. Um, I I can't decide. It, it actually let me pause that for a second we really haven't given gonzaga even enough credit because we've talked about so many other teams throughout this year because we just there's ass- so much more interesting yeah, right because we've just assumed how good gonzaga is and that assumption has been completely correct throughout the year and everyone has in a way um i i've been talking about this for a while but when nemhard got his waiver of eligibility like uh granted they were already the number one team in the country. And then they had another five-star guard that got granted eligibility. And that's ab- absurd. They just picked up uh, another five-star guard for next year. Uh, Hillis, I think I believe his name is his last name. Um, th- this is the scary part now for the rest of the country, especially us West Coast people. Gonzaga was already a wagon when they weren't recruiting five-star guys. And now they're getting five-star like NBA players every year. I mean, Jalen Suggs having an almost triple-double in an Elite Eight game is just ridiculous. It's it's a, like otherworldly how good they are. So here's my question to you, Sue, because I am a Gonzaga hater, and I will blatantly and clearly say that. 
uh, for multiple different reasons, both personal and uh, personal with relationships I have with friends and family and stuff like that back from where I'm from. Yeah, there's, there's nothing like Drew, Timmy, or some anyone like did anything to you personally, right? Right, 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 <laughs> right. No, 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 not not this squad of Gonzaga players. Maybe some former squad of Gonzaga players. Um, but you know, as a as a guy who goes, you know, is an alumni of a school who we'd like to think we are the West Coast basketball team, which we ha- aren't not for sure anymore um i don't want to see them have success and i don't want to see them win a national championship but here's my caveat to that is do we want to watch history and see you know a team become the first undefeated team in 45 years to win a national championship i personally don't is there anything that you think about that that you would i can give you a firm hell no on that especially to okay, see good. who they're playing good Dude, good i'd i'd so much rather a pac-12 team beat them which is potentially going to happen and by the way this is a rematch of 2006 gus johnson adam morrison and gonzaga's collapse so i will almost guarantee mark few is going to be playing that and i look i if i'm going out on a limb i think gonzaga is going to win this by double digits but that is a very interesting little nugget. And, and it actually dawned on me while I was in the bathroom on the can. I was like, oh, this UCLA uh, Gonzaga game. And I saw someone tweet it. And I was like, oh, damn, look at that. I forgot about th- that. So there's going to be a revenge factor for Mark Few because there's very few coaches, personnel that have that, that can say, yeah, about what, 15 years ago now, I was right there. And now I want to exact revenge on these guys. Uh, that was probably, I mean, and you talk about five stars, you talk about NBA level talent. Adam Morrison was the first guy at Gonzaga under Mark Few. We know about John Stockton, yada, yada. Under Mark Few, you could make the case that Adam Morrison was the first stud NBA guy. He had guys like Dan Dickow prior to him, but Morrison in college player of the year. And then you talk about players of the year, right? Gonzaga has so many could be all all Americans. If you want to Taylor, if you how many times do we get asked this question? By and I'm not calling these people out. Sometimes they just don't watch the sport closely enough and that is perfectly okay. But if they say, "How can this guy be the national player of the year like a Tyler Hansborough, but he's projected to be a second round NBA pick?" How is that possible? Right? So you show him this USC Gonzaga game because a guy like Drew Timmy who I find insufferable because he celebrates after every single play, but stop the guy if you don't want him to, to celebrate. But a guy like Drew Timmy is probably going to be a national player of the year at some point, maybe next year or the year after that. On the other side, Evan Mobley is a top five pick for USC. Now, Evan Mobley had a good game, but if you really looked at it, Drew Timmy kind of had his way the entire night. He had one of the most efficient stat lines. So you probably ask yourself, well, why is Drew Timmy not being mentioned as a top 10 pick and latest mock drafts? I, I haven't seen him like that. Whereas Evan Mobley, that guy's arguably a top three pick. Uh, you could clearly see Jalen Suggs. Sometimes you get those combo guys, right? Like Jalen Suggs could be the number one overall pick and he's a stud in college, but I always find that fascinating. And it's tough to explain when someone says, how can this guy be so great in college and so revered in college, but the NBA doesn't see him that way. Look at that matchup between Drew Timmy and Evan Mobley. Well, a good example of that is probably quarterbacks in college at, you know, where some, some guy like Grand Harrell back in the day, Texas tech throws for like 5,000 yards in a year. And people would be like, well, why wouldn't he be the top pick in the draft when some dude, 
you know, from a, from Cal throws for 3,200 yards a year. And it's like, Oh, well, he's clearly the number one pick, but I do want to say that this is my nightmare final four matchup. This is, this is my nightmare is, is this, I could only think that maybe I can't even, I can't even think of which team I would take out to put ASU in there as, as an equal nightmare matchup. Um, because I, I think of these two schools, UCLA is obviously Arizona's number one basketball rivalry and Gonzaga is kind of our number one Western power. I don't want to say rivalry, but kind of fringe rivalry. So I got to say the fact that one of these two teams is going to, I mean, they got a one in four shot at winning the national championship after all that we've been through <laughs> is, is literally my nightmare. Is this your nightmare matchup or is it at least close? No, nah, it might be a little close, but here are the reasons why it's not my nightmare matchup. And I'll try and rank them in terms of importance. Number one, UCLA is the flagship program of the Pac-12. I've said it so many times, and Shark always says, like, why are you rooting for the Pac-12? Because if, if the Pac-12 wants to get back to their national relevance, which they had early 2000s, mid-2000s, UCLA needs to be great. Arizona simultaneously needs to be great. We have one right now with UCLA. Now, maybe they're not consistently amazing, but they are in the final four. Like you had mentioned, they have a one in four shot of winning the title. So it's good. It is a good thing, people, that UCLA is competing for titles, that UCLA is in the final four. It was a bad thing when they were languishing under Steve Alford and nobody cared about them. When Lonzo Ball was there, and he got that team to the Sweet 16. Celebrities were showing out at Poly Pavilion. Mick Cronin needs to get these guys back into the top 15, top 10, year in and year out. And this is a wonderful start for them. So I'm happy in that respect. Uh, number two, like I had mentioned, my fiance not only has money on this, this is all going to go to our wedding fund, okay? So if UCLA does well, uh, that's great. Three, she actually did go to UCLA. So it's a little, it's a little soft of me. I, I get, I understand the whole rivalry thing, but there's other worse matchups that could have happened. Like if ASU was in, that that would have been absolutely ruthless. I mean, at least UCLA, you can say, good, these guys already have a billion banners hanging up. Uh, I'm okay with them adding one more. It's not like we're very close to the catching them at all. It's if like, ASU, it's if like ASU Tom tied Br us, it'd be over. It's like Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl. Pretty yeah, much. Exactly. You know, to me, right? It's, yeah, I, I I get that. You're you're right. That's a fair point on that angle. Sorry not to interrupt you there, but no, 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 yeah, you're good. It's like, oh, you already got eleven or you already got seven, but you're already uncatchable in a way, you know. And so yeah, I I I get that. You know, it, it would be nice. I, I'll to see. say this real quick. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, only, go ahead. The only drawback, the only drawback is, and I'm sure a lot of listeners have this in their own home, is when you pour your heart and soul into a particular team, and then, like I had mentioned, your significant other who does not give a shit whatsoever, I'm talking literally playing on her phone the entire time, who verbally said, I can't watch this in the first half. I'm like, I don't even think you understand Elite Eight stress. She said, in the first half, oh, I can't watch this. I'm going to go lie down. When that person is able to... uh get a title potentially that's the thing that hurts the most yeah you know and not to 
extrapolate too far out on our own personal stuff here, but you know, living in Phoenix, that would make ASU even worse for me because, and the fact that I'm so close to LA doesn't really make it helpful with UCLA for me, but yeah, we don't have to go too far into our personal stuff. It is nice that we do have some West Coast representation in the Final Four, though. And maybe at some point we can all stop playing like fucking midnight games because, you know, there were no East Coast teams of the Elite Eight. They were all shit. Seven of the eight were west of the Mississippi, with Michigan being the furthest East team in the Elite Eight uh, uh, this year. Um, well, right on the line, whatever that we non East coast is all I'm really getting at here. And that was kind of refreshing to see really. And the fact that the tournament ratings this year are like setting records and we have non East coast teams is a beautiful thing to me. Absolutely. Let's go to Texas then. All right. Cause we covered the Zags. We covered UCLA. Good for them. The Texas boys, Baylor finally getting the monkey off their back. Good for Scott drew, man. They had a relatively complete game against Arkansas. They had a few uh, down down moments, but at the same time, and again, this goes to back to your point, which is a great one because everyone thinks they can handicap games. Everyone thinks like, oh, based on what we've seen so far, this team's going to kill this other team. That's not what happens. When you're at the Sweet 16, like you had mentioned, major program versus major program, anyone can get clipped, and, and games will be competitive. That's exactly what happened in Arkansas-Baylor. Baylor, a little bit too much firepower. We actually saw that in the round previous against Villanova. Uh, but again, too much firepower. So Scott Drew, man, before I get your thoughts on him, congrats because it's so rough. This is actually the opposite of what UCLA did with, with Steve Alford and Mick Cronin, right? UCLA said, all right, we're done. Baylor could have said that a couple of times in Scott Drew's tenure. But again, this all goes to expectations. Scott Drew was doing more than enough for what Baylor basketball should be requiring and expecting. Now, he had a lot of disappointing finishes. You think back to the R.J. Hunter Georgia State shot. You think back to the Yale game where he lost in that hilarious interview with Torian Prince afterwards about being out-rebounded. They've had a few other losses, and he's been to the Elite Eight before. He's finally broken through, and this is a case now where patience has paid off for the bears because to be honest with you prior to covid last year they were the front runner for actually being national champion what a beautiful game baylor played against arkansas Uh, just incredibly efficient and even though arkansas scored 72 points and shot 48 percent from the field which is a little high against a team that is touted as a great defensive team baylor still forced 15 turnovers uh, Arkansas only shot 27% from, from three. And it was just, uh, I don't want to say a clinic in a nine point game, but you really didn't feel like Baylor was ever going to lose this game at one point. Like Arkansas just couldn't get over the hump. I know I'm a, I've been a big Arkansas fan, uh, all year this year. I was really hoping they would win this game, but you just got the sense that to put it in, I guess, layman's term is layman's terms is Baylor was just the, the straight-up better team in this game. And you, I think that was pretty apparent for almost the entirety of the game. Um, you had Macy Oteague that just had, you know, had a phenomenal game. And, you know, Butler didn't do as much as maybe some normal games that he does, but that shows you the depth of this team and, and really uh, how or why we've thought of them as the second-best team to Gonzaga all year. And I think that even... 
even we, or at least me, kind of fooled ourselves in a way when they lost those two games earlier this year. We're like, well, maybe they do have some chinks in their armor. They don't. I mean, they don't have any chinks in their armor. They are the second most efficient offensive team in the country behind Gonzaga. And despite the fact that they are, air quotes, not as good defensively as a normal Baylor team is, they're still phenomenal defensively. And I I think that they've been as impressive pretty much as, as anybody in this tournament so far, despite the fact that maybe their scores and the games that they've played wouldn't indicate that. But, I mean... Playing Arkansas, Villanova, and Wisconsin is a harder path up until maybe this last round that like UC- than UCLA has taken, and these guys are one seed. And so uh, I still think fairly highly of them. Not really sure why I I didn't just pick them to the final, and I picked Illinois to beat them in the final four, or I didn't even I didn't even have them in the final four because that Arkansas beating them, um, which is totally my bad. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if I love Scott Drew as much as you do. I don't necessarily feel happy for Scott Drew. Um, I know that a lot of people in the basketball world, especially coaches, don't think very highly of Scott Drew either. But it's hard to argue with the product that they put on the court over the last couple of years, and especially this year. But I mean, they've been the number one or number two in the country for like the majority of the time for the last uh, 104 weeks. So two years. I mean, they were the number one team in the country for the majority of last year, too. I actually kind of feel bad for them because, I mean, I think Gonzaga was really good, obviously, last year as well. But now they, I mean, what a difference a year makes, right? I think Gonzaga catapulted them, leapfrogged them to where now they're, I think there's still a little bit of an eye test difference between, uh, you can see, and a little bit better uh, play from the Bulldogs than Butler because, or excuse me, than Baylor because I will say this: Baylor cannot let their guard down too much against Houston. Now there is a little bit of margin of margin for error against the Cougars. Zags have like a huge margin of error against UCLA, but when it comes down to this Baylor Houston game, Baylor could find themselves in a little bit of trouble if they go into some of these defensive lulls because they were shooting some, something like 50 or 60% against Arkansas and they were only up like eight or nine. Um, and that's, that's not going to get the job done against Houston who will clamp you. There's no way they're going to be shooting 50 to 60% in my opinion. And I love these Baylor bears, uh, but the X factor for the bears and they'll win a championship. I have them cutting down the nets. Uh, I had them cutting down the nets against Bama. Goddamn Bama. There's so many shit teams on my shit list. So many players on my shit list. But uh, Baylor wins a championship, and I'm very confident in saying this. They win a championship if Matthew Meyer comes to play. If Matthew Meyer is confident off the bench, if he hits two to three threes, hot hand. I love Matthew Meyer for this Bears team. Uh, the mullet guy, in case you didn't know who I'm referencing. Not you, but the audience. He's got the best hair left in the tournament. Him and Tiger Campbell for very different reasons. I mean, this this guy looks like he probably drums up moonshine in the back. Actually, he looks like he belongs at Arkansas or Alabama and not on Baylor. Uh, this guy does not look like he should be a doctor or in medical school or whatever most people go to Baylor for. He definitely looks like he belongs uh backwoods with some moonshine but that's why i love him as well he had a pretty good game the other day actually i mean he's just one of those guys that contributes enough and is an important part of any championship winning team 
Macy Oteague, Jared Butler, Mark Vital. Here's the other. I can't wait for the Vital Drew Timmy matchup. I love that we're already looking forward to it. I think we've resigned ourselves to Gonzaga versus Baylor for the title. But I want the Mark Vital Drew Timmy matchup just because I want Vital to like body him. I I need someone to check Drew Timmy because right now I'm at the at the point where I'm like this guy is just doing his mustache celebration he's throwing passes and picking up dimes off the court he's flexing and like i said more power to him because nobody can stop him i mean i'm sitting on my on my phone ready to tweet about how much drew timmy upsets me and i'm like what the hell are you doing right like first of all you're a grown man tweeting about a kid having fun in college who's dominating but number two nobody's stopping him i need mark vital to do that in the title game so i think we're i think let me dial myself back here. I think we're underestimating Houston a little bit here. I want to talk about Ken Palm for a second. I know this is a numbers thing, and I'm a little more into numbers than you are in when it comes to like the overall grand scheme of how we feel about basketball. Houston is top 10 offensive efficiency and top 10 defensive efficiency. Over the course of however many, however many years we track Ken Palm, that has always been the key to making the title game or even winning the national championship. Now, Gonzaga is the top adjusted offensive team and the fifth adjusted defensive team, which is absurd if you look back at all of uh, Ken Palm's rankings throughout the year. But Houston is 7-8. and eight. Baylor is 3-28. and 28. And why I bring up that 28 number as it relates to their uh their defensive efficiency. Something we talked about a couple episodes ago in our tournament preview show is the tempo that these teams play. Houston is the, is slow. And so is UCLA. And I don't think that's going to matter in the UCLA game because Gonzaga is just going to be so more uber talented than, than UCLA is. But Houston's a lot slower than Baylor is. And they're really good defensively. And so that's a game where I look at that Houston really only needs to make, well, this sounds dumb to say, really only needs to make a couple more shots than Baylor does. Well, obviously, okay, they need to score more points than the other team. But what I'm saying I is guarantee, that I, I guarantee the Shark will text us hard, something like hard-hitting analysis. Or something. Yeah, right. But what I'm saying is, is that this isn't going to be an up-and-down type of run-it-out type of game, which Baylor can play and Houston can't really play. So if Houston can slow it down, I think this game is going to be pretty close. And I think that they have a shot at winning this game, despite how we just wax poetically about how good Baylor is. Um, I I would like to see in the end a Baylor-Gonzaga matchup because I think they have been the two best teams all year. But I don't want to over or, under, excuse me, underestimate how good Houston is because they really have flown in under the radar all year. This has been a team that was not talked about at all. And they've been one of the five, six, seven best teams in the country all year. If we look at the Ken Palm, I'll, I'll stop talking about Ken Palm here after this. The top three teams in Ken Palm are still left in this tournament. And that's Gonzaga, Baylor, and Houston. Houston being above a bunch of number one seeds and two seeds, uh, clearly because they're the third best team, according to Ken Palm. There's a lot of fun players in this semifinal here between Baylor and Houston. Dejan Giroux versus Davion Mitchell. I have a feeling that's going to be the matchup Kelvin Sampson is going to start off with. Uh, and then you got Quinton Grimes on Houston as well. Uh, Jared Butler, we had mentioned. Macy Oteague. 
This is going to be a, a Fabian Washington for Houston up against Vital. This is going to be a fun matchup between the guys, but I, I do think that there's just too many offensive weapons for, for Baylor, and I do think Matthew Meyer and their bench is going to help out quite a bit as well. Drew's going to have to play the game of his life with his bad hip um, in, in this game, really. But I think he can. I mean, I like that guy a lot. This was a guy that I, I don't want to say I hated on last year, but he was a guy who just couldn't play offense last year. And this year, he's much more efficient. Now, I will say, again, let's protect ourselves from the shark here. There are two teams that both that had top 10 defensive and offensive ratings that have already lost, one of them being Michigan yesterday or right before we were recording this, the other one being Illinois, who lost to Loyola Chicago earlier in this tournament. Shitless team. Definitely huge shitless team. So uh, it's not the end-all, be-all of the world, clearly, to be – in that kind of grouping, but um, that is a good indicator of who ends up making the championship and who ends up being in the final four clearly because uh, two of the four teams that had that uh, distinction are in the final four. Let's talk just very briefly, tip our hats. I don't know if, look, I tip my hat to Scott Drew. You didn't necessarily agree with that. I'm going to do it right now for Kelvin Sampson because he's kind of thumbing it to these crotchety, uppity, annoying college basketball writers that we all know about, okay? So there's going to be people that were probably looking at this Houston Kelvin Sampson run like, damn it, how's he? how did he even get a second chance after what happened at Indiana, which really wasn't even that egregious. I think everyone was just like, oh, this is such a high institution. How can Kelvin Sampson come in and, and completely gut the program with all these sanctions that are going to be coming? But I'm happy for Kelvin Sampson because of that. And you know what? I'm going to actually point out the specific old reporter that I'm referencing, and that's Pat Forty. Pat Forty in 2008 had a line in an article after Kelvin Sampson got canned in 2008 saying, if he ever coaches again, well, dude, here we are, what, 13 years later, and he's in the final four. Calvin Sampson is a hell of a basketball coach. This is, a, I think, his second Final Four, right? I think he went to went with Oklahoma. Calvin Sampson can coach the hell out of these basketball uh, these basketball teams. And you know what? If you, I retweeted this in 2016. There's a photo that's going relatively viral right now when he was literally begging, begging students on campus to come to a game against like Cincinnati. I mean, he, you want to talk about a guy that hit the, hit the pavement hard in terms of marketing and promoting his team. He's done that and he's built them to be a consistent winner the past like three, four years or so. And I'll tell you what, Houston deserves this winner because what the Astros have put them through, what the Rockets have put them through. And I'm not even talking about just James Harden. I'm talking about the Chris Paul injury, which is no fault of Chris Paul's but you also talk about 0 for 27, right? You talk about what the Texans have been putting them through with Deshaun Watson, Nuck Hopkins being up on the Chiefs in the playoffs and then going for it on fourth down with the Bill O'Brien fake punt. Who else am I missing? I feel like I, I've, I'm missing something else, but what these fans have been through over the course of these past like two years with their baseball, football, and basketball teams, they deserve this Final Four. Houston went from like one of the best sports towns in America in terms of success to like one of the, I don't want to say the worst, but definitely the office direction in like 18 Most months. made fun of, I'd say. They'd oh, be, yeah. They're the butt of every joke. Oh, 100%. The Rockets are trash. The Texans are trash. The Astros are still good. 
Who but, cares? Uh, but they're cheaters. Like no, yeah, I mean right. nobody nobody takes the Astros seriously. No, exactly. Kelvin Sampson really has one of the most unique like coaching histories of anyone we will ever find in college basketball. Guy that started off at Montana Tech in the eighties, the early eighties, got all the way up through Washington State, Oklahoma, got to the peak, the peak of the industry, let's call it, at Indiana. And obviously, like you said, uh, got canned there uh, for some controversial issues. Like, like you said, has won the big or has won the Coach of the Year nationally, as well as uh, in several different conferences. Uh, but is a guy that doesn't get any respect at all. And I think Houston is really a perfect spot for him. I think he's a guy that doesn't need to go anywhere, even if he does get offers, which I'm not even sure. He's he's also strangely a guy that could probably win the national championship and wouldn't get offers to coach anywhere either, other than here. Is that is, am I off on saying that? No, you're not. I actually read a couple of other articles about Kelvin Sampson Taylor. I think you make a, a great point. Fit is everything. So someone had said Houston needed a guy to turn the program around. But a guy that was like so someone at, at Kelvin Sampson's level in terms of coaching ability, but they also needed a guy that was as available as Kelvin Sampson. Right. Kelvin Sampson's one of the best coaches in the country. I think we can all agree on that. He's up there with whatever name you want to put out, but those other names are not as available or were not as available as Kelvin Sampson. And there was that little lull after Indiana and before Houston, that middle part where he was in the NBA, and there's another really interesting story before I'll kick it back to you. He was an assistant coach, I forget where, but in practice, he was getting on a big man, and he says, hey, man, you got to show on that screen defensively. you got to come out and, and, and jump that screen. And the big man says, look, dude, I appreciate you telling me that. My contract, my incentives are based on blocks and rebounds, so I'm not going to be chasing out a, a point guard on a screen at the three-point line. I'm going to be camped out in the paint. I'm going to be getting my rebounds and and getting my blocks, and this should come as no surprise. This is what pros in the NBA is, but I think Kelvin Sampson said to himself, hey, man, this just isn't for me. Like I can't, I, I can't be who I want to be in the pros. Let me go back to college, and it's been a match made in heaven in Houston. Yeah, I think we see that a lot in college basketball too. You know, I I don't know why college basketball coaches would ever want to go coach in the NBA for that specific reason, because college basketball coaches, similarly to college football coaches, need that control over every single thing that's going on. And there is a bit about them, as controversial as many of them are, they are coaches for the level that they are because they still way back at heart still want to teach and contribute to uh, these players getting better. Even if that sounds like old and crotchety to use your term from earlier, and it's become much more corporate and, you know, uh, monetary based now, that's still why you get into it. Especially when you look like at a guy like Calvin or Kelvin Sampson, like I said, he started at Montana tech. He was an assistant at Michigan State and then an assistant at Montana Tech before he became the head coach there. You're not getting into coaching at Montana Tech for the ore diggers is their mascot to make to make money and to not. I mean that's that's just for how the it notoriety. Goes. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Now, obviously, 
it's means to an end. You have to go through these back channels to do this in a lot of ways. But yeah, what an what an interesting look back it will be when Kelvin Sampson retires, even, and especially if he retires with the national championship at Houston of all places, having coached at Indiana and Oklahoma previous to that. I mean, dude was a Houston a Rockets assistant coach before he became the head coach at Houston. And I really didn't even realize myself that this is his seventh season at Houston already. And you said the patience thing uh, starting this off, and you're completely uh, correct when it comes to Kelvin Sampson at Houston. It's a fit-based benefit, I guess, now, and it's a patience-based benefit now that they are in the Final Four. They didn't panic. They found their guy, and there's a lot of schools who can look at this and use that as an example to say, hey, even though this guy didn't work out in other places, we got to do a deeper dive in just the surface-level stats or surface-level information, and Houston did a great job with with Kelvin Sampson. Certainly did. So your final four, Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga, UCLA. It's like that dragon meme. You know, meme, meme being vocalized right now. I know the dragon meme is only three and now there's four, but like two of them look very fierce and then one looks super derpy. That's kind of how I picture UCLA <laughs> amongst these fours. But hey, man, they are there. And you know what? For everything we've heard about the Big 12, shout out Baylor, but for everything we heard about the Big 12 and for everything we heard about the Big 10, look at the conferences represented here. Yes, there's one Big 12 team. Fine. Hug for you. No Big 10 teams, though. No ACC teams, no SEC teams. Instead, we have two teams from a lot. what a lot of people consider a mid-major conference. I don't think the AAC is a mid-major conference, but some people do. you got Houston representing them, Gonzaga, West Coast Conference, and then UCLA from the Pac-12. So I don't think anyone, anyone in like February would say, hey, these are the conferences that are going to be representing uh, the final four. Maybe they would have gotten two. Maybe they would have said Zags and Baylor. No chance they would have said AAC and Pac-12. I won't believe it. I mean, we looked at the Big Ten tournament and pretty much said that they were all Elite Eight matchups. And they only got one team in. And really what it was, it was the Pac-12 tournament, which was the Elite Eight in Final Four matchups, surprisingly. I mean, to have three of eight teams in the Elite Eight is is really quite remarkable. And I don't just say that as a Pac-12 fan. This is something that if, if, like you said, a Big Ten or a Big 12 or an ACC. So, of course, we won't see that now because none of these guys actually watch Pac-12 basketball. But I, I was thinking that on the way up here uh, from – my previous engagement while I was watching and listening to the games on the way up uh, before this podcast. It's crazy how we think about college basketball and how important it is to play in a big conference and blah, blah, blah. I mean, Gonzaga plays nobody all year long. doesn't matter. You think the AAC is a major conference. I don't think it's a mid-major conference. But it's not the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the ACC or even the Pac-12. So I, I, it's somewhere in between. Group, group I them, yeah, that's fair. I would say like they are the bottom of the barrel out of those major conferences. So, yes, right. I, I'm, I'm right. essentially – yeah, We're on the same page on that, yeah. And then Baylor, you know, obviously won a, won a great conference where, you know, I was on a podcast earlier this month where the one of the leaders of that podcast thought the Big 12 was the best uh, conference in basketball. He may have been right it, as it came down still to the alive. end. That theory still alive, yeah. Yeah, it may, he may have been right. 
And so I, I, it's interesting how we discuss all of this throughout the year, how, how important it is to play in a major conference so you can get tournament tested, blah, blah, blah. In the end, at least in this particular season, it really didn't fucking matter. Gonzaga played fucking Pepperdine all year long, and here we are. Roll, rolled through all the other major conference schools to get here. So, uh, and uh, not to not to continue to go about the Pac-12 too, but maybe they were a, a better conference than we gave them credit for. So, I guess are we getting to picks here? Is that where we're going with this? I mean, we can. Yeah, if you want to just real quickly do that. So, Baylor, Houston, who you got? I'll take Baylor, but I'll take. I'll take it within like two possessions at the end. I think it's going to be, like I said earlier, low scoring and a closer game than anticipated. I picked the bears going into this tournament. I no point in leaving them right now. Of course I had them beating Illinois bears repeating shit list. Uh, Big 10. Yes. But Baylor, sorry, I digress. Zags UCLA. Gonzaga is going to beat the shit out of UCLA. I I just don't. I just really can't see any other way that this goes. You, you know, I I respect the hell out of Tiger Campbell and Johnny Juzang and Jaime Hawkes and all of these guys who really had a hell of a run through this tournament. But if UCLA beats Gonzaga, that's got to be what a weird thing to say that this would be one of the biggest upsets in tournament history. You would think in the grand scheme of college basketball, it would actually be the other way around, right? But if UCLA beats Gonzaga, it would be like a top 10 upset in the history of college basketball. Well, you mentioned it a couple a couple minutes ago. You said, well, yeah, the Gonzaga has just has so much more talent than UCLA. And I wanted to just pause, freeze frame, and be like, take yourself back to 2004 and say that exact statement. <laughs> How wild. you would! I mean, if you said to yourself, hey, in... 15, 16 years, right? Gonzaga is actually going to have majority of the talent. I'd slap that person. In addition to that, it's funny. You also bring it up because uh, my fiance was, was asking earlier, Hey, who were the lowest seeds to win the national title? And I just off the top, I had brought up Villanova over Georgetown. Right. Um, and so I said, yeah, but Villanova, I mean, I just answered her with Villanova, but then I went in in depth explaining about that game and she just didn't care. She kind of tuned me out like a fifth grade grader does to his teacher. But I was like, they had to play the perfect game. They had to play perfect basketball. Looking into this UCLA Gonzaga game, that's what the Bruins are going to have to do as well. You got something in your throat there? Are you getting? Are you waxing emotionally about the? Perfect I'm getting game? choked <laughs> up, man. I'm just getting choked up about the Pac-12. I'm so happy that that one of them was able to take advantage of the three. And you know what? Shout out Wayne Tinkle. Shout out Wayne Tinkle and the Oregon State Beavers. We haven't talked about them at all. Hell of a season. Hell of a run. So I'm actually looking at my book over here, which is the perfect game, which is about that Villanova game. And yeah, I mean it's it's wild that you say I got here. It's wild that. Uh, Oregon State got to the Elite Eight. This is the first time the two double-digit seeds have ever made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, good for Wayne Tinkle because he was going to get fired probably after this season uh, or at least going to be on the hot seat next season. Now he at a place like Oregon State, he's safe for like fucking ever there now by getting to the Elite Eight. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's going to pull a shock of smart and bail uh, like, uh, like he did on Texas there. But um, – yeah, I, I'm going Gonzaga and Baylor. I just don't – I really 
I'm not rooting for UCLA because I really can't find myself rooting for either of these teams, to be honest. Um, as a betting man, I'll probably throw a little flyer on UCLA to beat Gonzaga just for the hell of it because it's not any fun to bet on Gonzaga because we know they're going to steamroll everybody. Um, I guess you know really what it would be, and I hate to bring this up to you, Subi, but this really would be like an 8-8 eight and eight Giants team beating an 18-0 and 0 Patriots team. I mean, that's I, unfortunately, that's like what the equivalency here is. So I, I, I hate to bring that up to you, but it's uh, kind I, of... I, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, in no universe can I see UCLA winning, but that's exactly, Taylor, why they play the games. Uh, and then, okay, Baylor Zags, who you got? Title game. I'll go Zags. I'd like to see Baylor win. I'll be rooting for Baylor. Uh, I will openly say that. Um, and I, if I were to guess, it would be like a four or five point Gonzaga advantage uh, on the Vegas lines, I, I would say. Um, I just, God, just like we said all year, I just can't. There's nothing that's going to be able to convince me that Gonzaga is not the best team in the country and that they're not the, mo- the de- have the most depth, that they don't have the most talent so on and so forth, you're going to have, just like any of these games, someone is just going to have to go off on Baylor or UCLA subsequently to make this. Like, Johnny Juzang is going to have to have, like, a 35-point game to to beat Gonzaga. And, like, Jared Butler or, like, Flagler is going to have to hit, like, seven threes at random to beat that. He's going to have to be Spike Albrecht, essentially, to, to beat. Uh, against Ag in the championship game, in my opinion, should have gone Ryan Klein there. No shark, but but um, wasn't in a I championship actually, game though. True, like, at least, true, yeah. true, true. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Spike Albrecht against Louisville came off the bench. He was great. I will say this though. I think what's more likely to happen, Taylor, is a big time player gets in foul trouble early. Like if you can get Jalen Suggs on a reach in, he, he's just so disciplined. Or if you can get Kispert or Timmy with two fouls before the under 16 timeout, you might give yourself a chance to hang around in the first half. Also, by the way, just let me pivot real quick. Muscleman keeping in, what is it? Note? Keeping yeah, it, him in. Oh, God. He fouled out with 15 minutes. What the hell are you doing, Muscleman? That is, that well, is some And the fact that he didn't pull him in the first – it was the whole deal, right? I will say this. If Kispert or Timmy get in foul trouble, it's not going to phase them because they have enough depth there. It's got to be Suggs. If It only can be Suggs that gets in foul trouble that will give them any shot to win him. Even though they have Nemhard and all that type of stuff, it – Suggs is just so much more talented than than almost everybody else in the country. Maybe than even uh, Cade Cunningham because they're probably going to go one and two in the draft. Um, it has to be Suggs that gets in foul trouble because these those other two. I don't want to say that they're replaceable. That's not that's not at all what I'm saying. But one or two of them can make up for each other. Suggs is, has just such a unique skill set in everything that he can do. Like we've said ad nauseum earlier, he almost had a triple double tonight. Or, or, or last night, I should say. And so that has to be the guy. He's the he's the engine that runs everything there. And so that's got to be the guy that you either have to shut down, which is almost impossible, or get into foul trouble, which is at least a little more possible. I'm taking Baylor over Zags in the title game. Uh, that's where we differ. But again, your final four, Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga, UCLA. Taylor, let's go ahead and finish it off now with some hugs. I'll kick it to you first. 
Well, we started off with this, and I would be remiss if for all of the time that we spent talking about Arizona's men's basketball team and all of their shortcomings they've had. Such in a our waste lifespan. of time in, in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. That we should have been rooting for the women's team more hardly because, or, you know, in, in a more aggressive manner because Arizona basketball, not only did they make their first ever elite eight, but they have then subsequently made their first ever final four. Audie Barnes, Ari McDonald, as we referenced earlier, Ari McDonald, 31 points. That's a championship type of performance in a game that really matters. They've got some great, they had some great matchups in this tournament too. Indiana was not that good. And straight up Texas A&M, Arizona was better than Texas A&M all throughout the season. Arizona was ranked in the top 10 for most of the season, got a three seed, which I thought was a little low or a little high, depending on how you want to phrase that. But, uh, I thought maybe more like a two seed. And speaking of major upsets, Arizona faces UConn. Like UConn, UConn here on uh, this coming week. And uh, that would be, God, you know, 13 and a half isn't that big of a spread, really, I, I think, to play UConn for a three seed to play UConn. Um, what we'll see here is this, right? And this is my prediction for that game. Arizona either bows out because uh, Paige Beckers and Gino and whatever, because it's UConn basketball, right? Or, or Ari McDonald has maybe the best singular game in the history of the program. That would be about the only way that Arizona advances to the national title game. Help me out here. Why can't I think of the girl's name who led was it South Carolina when they first became good a couple of years ago uh, hey, to the uh, national championship? Asia Wilson. Asia Wilson. Yeah. 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 yeah right. Cause she did. Now, I think. Yeah. Cause she did the same thing, right? She pretty much, and I think they were a three seed at the time, uh, came out of nowhere and just fucking balled out or, uh, that was what's her face for, uh, was it Notre Dame too? This is clearly why we're not a women's basketball podcast. And I can't and, pronounce uh, her name, I know, but she hit the game winning shot, right? Yeah, correct. I, correct. That's on us. We should be able to to speak to this. But uh, huge game. Yes, you're right. Let me tell you something real quick. You know how much we, how often we love to reference this Houston Nut post game celebration when he was the head coach at Arkansas. He's like, mm-hmm. Mark May, Lou Holtz. You better put Darren McFadden in the Heisman. He's doing his his best politician esque uh, support for Darren McFadden when he thinks he's getting overlooked. What a, what an effort. Y'all better put him in the Heisman. You better put him up there. I'm tired of him being number three, wood. number four. We got that wood right here, baby. Somebody better look at this right guy. Here. He's the best football player in the country, and his name's not being mentioned. Lou Holtz, Mark May, number five. You better look at him a little closer. I'm going to do that right now for Ari McDonald, all right, because all I hear about is Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark from Iowa, and they are fantastic. They deserve all of their plaudits. They deserve all of the praise, all of the flowers. They are wonderful wonderful players but so is miss mcdonald for arizona okay so when you mentioned those other two you put my point guard in there as well so bear down lady cats let me add here too that this is something that i think that it's unfortunate that lute olsen passed away this last year because lute olsen is the type of person and the type of uh contributor to a program that he would have enjoyed this 
Arizona's women's team making the final four just as much as coaching his own team to the final four, because that's how big of a person he was in Tucson. And that's how much of a supporter he was of athletics at the university of Arizona. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sean putting out a congrats video looks like a hostage. I'm just kidding. Good, good, good on Sean for, for finally speaking up. He doesn't have Twitter, but whatever. All right. I'll go ahead and dole out my hugs right now. My hug in all seriousness is to Kane Ma former UNC basketball player. So Kane is Asian. Okay. And that is uh, worthwhile to note because Ma said in March of 2019, again, former basketball player, he encountered three men when he was back in town, watching his former team play Duke, a friend of his uh, called to tell him to come to Macaulay street in Chapel Hill, which is steps from Franklin street. And as soon as he got there, he said three men approached him. One of the guys was saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to try some Kung Fu on us? Quote, uh, for for Ma, that was translation that you're not going to protect yourself as we're coming at you. Um, Ma said that the story was that they put me in a chokehold. I became unconscious. Then I fell to the ground. It didn't sit well with me. And of course, we know about the shootings in Georgia. And Ma said that those shootings uh, last week didn't sit well with him either. And it compelled him to share his story. So he went on to say those things were really tough, knowing that stuff like that could happen to people who look like us. Uh, I wanted to share what happened to me. And he posted this to his LinkedIn account and his post nearly has 274,000 reactions and a thousands more comments. Uh, the post obviously included the hashtag stop Asian hate. So I'm giving a sincere hug for Kane Ma here for not only being a victim uh, by a hate crime and, you know, just disgusting abuse, but for speaking out, we all know what happened, like I said, in Georgia recently, and this is, the end of the pool, really, that uh, usually is too deep for us, if I'm being honest. We tweet useless nonsense like Farmer Fran gifts and Big Boy grilling on the roof for uh, some levity. But our Asian brothers and sisters are hurting right now, if we're being brutally honest. And it's very simple. Stop Asian hate. Enjoy the final four. Next time we will chat with you, there will be a national title winner. And then we'll be transitioning into are off season, but please, again, cherish these moments. There's only three more opportunities for theater. We have two semifinals, and then we have the national title game. What a, I just want to say, because I missed last week's episode, what an awesome return to glory this has been uh, for the NCAA tournament. So happy to see that ratings are so far up and that so many people are enjoying college basketball again, something that we care so deeply about, too deeply about, I should probably say. It controls much of our lives for better or for worse, and thank goodness that we have significant others who deal with us. But I have just have been so happy throughout this tournament, and I'm just so happy to see college basketball back in the prime time and really uh, performing up to those high standards that we've always held them to and always hoped that they would have. Wonderful, wonderfully said. Uh, in terms of your significant other, a little mention. Yeah, it, it started as she's tolerating all of this, and now she's the one all gung ho. She's the one asking for scores. She's the one watching Final Fours, and she's the one who has a chance to win a national title. Whereas I'm over here wallowing in my own despair. This happens every single year around this time where I sort of question not only my existence, but why exactly do I put myself through this? Why do I watch this sport when it just turns out that I'm going to be finishing like 50th in a pool of 100? Yeah, the worst part is 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 Danielle 
my girlfriend grew up in the Valley in LA. And so she's going to look at this weekend's final four and go, Oh, UCLA, LA. Cool. That's cool that they made it. Yeah. I'm, pause- I'm pausing here intentionally for a reason. Cause I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be like, yo, fuck off. It's pretty much probably going to be my response to that statement. Well, we want to thank you for listening. Enjoy the games. Like I had mentioned, we'll catch you next time for our season ending national title game recap. Thanks again for listening.
You're watching the movie channel. Here's what's coming.